Are you ready to go? You know, because I'm not going to do a Kashina podcast anime with friends. I am your sweet breakfast treat, Sabrina Ray. And with me, the non dairy, sugar free whipped topping to my decadent chocolate sundae, Dawn. Wow, that really makes me sound white. Like, as white as a man can possibly be. Uh, I, I am hurt by that description, but I can't, I can't truly refute it, it as no, an actor. No, you can't. Don, I have to tell you that the ladies want the non-dairy, sugar-free whipped topping more than... Like, because they they can't have the chocolate sundae. Not the young ladies. The young ladies are all about the full fat whipped cream. They know that, you know, life is never going to yeah, touch well, them. Yeah, well, we're not young ladies. Uh, either of us. <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> oh, how are you tonight? Or this morning? What? <laughs> it's... You know, our podcast comes out in the morning, so I was thinking maybe we should pretend that it's morning. No, we can record it when we are recording it. I can't pretend that I just rolled out of bed. I'll have a milkman come in sometimes and say, hey, I've got some milk to deliver. Somehow, I I have not seen the milkman, or I am not (laughs) reminiscing of the milkman in any of our episodes. When you say milkman now, I can think only of our uh, high school science teacher. What was his name? Oh, was did we call him Milkman Mathis? Yeah, no, not Mr. Mathis. Mathis. Not Mathis. He was the math teacher. Oh wait, oh I don't remember. You know who, who I'm talking about, was. though, right? I do know who you're talking about. He but famously, I, can't the name. I remember there was some story. This was like either after graduation or the year we were graduating, and somebody asked him about his wife, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, we met each other, and then a week later we were like, yeah, we'll get married. This is it. This is gonna work." And well, you had adult conversations with adults. No, I had no, no. adult child conversations with adults. Well, I don't remember this shit at all. I mean, it was it was later. Um, you think all the kids were sitting around like, yeah, you have no idea how fast he got married. I mean, yeah, I was just like, they just met and I, then they were married. Well, <laughs> like, my point is you, mainly now here with the benefit of hindsight, the fact that you would meet someone in a week later be like, yeah, we should get married is frankly batshit. Like that, that's pretty, yeah, maybe. that's maybe. pretty rough. Like even today, like where I know definitively who I am and what I want <laughs> out of life. I mean, I may not know everything I want out of life, but pretty much it's like the die is cast, my friend. There's, there's no way that I could meet someone in a week later and be like, yeah, this, this is gonna, this'll, this'll fly. But what if he was rich? <laughs> I mean, she... Like fabulously rich. You mean like, like yeah, unattainably You'll never have rich. to work again. Yes. I mean, you could just like go kayaking forever. I don't know. I think I would not. <laughs> you could just go kayaking forever. God, it's not. It's not on the list. You know, there's there's a list and that's not on it. But uh, I I don't think that I don't think that's gonna fly. I don't. Um, no. No, because it's a kayak. No. It obviously isn't going to fly. Enough with the kayak. Don't you know what a kayak is? Enough with that. I I don't think, even if somebody was like limitlessly wealthy, I think that would make me even more hesitant rather than more willing to just jump into, especially because like, look, my life isn't perfect by any means, um, but, and I am not fabulously wealthy, but I am okay. And I don't, like, I don't need to be 
Bezos style rich. Like I don't need to, I don't. No one needs to be Bezos style well, rich. Fair enough. But I don't, you know, I don't need, I don't need any of that. I mean. I know. I know what you mean. Life is okay. But you know what? Talking about money. Sure. We recently raised a ton of money for a really good cause. We raised, we, we raised it for rain. That's not Rain Wilson or anything like that. I was thinking Rain Wilson. He is (laughs) a good uh, cause. Yeah. Rain, (laughs) awesome cause. And uh, we made $800 for them over the weekend with the Orange Groves crew and some people from Uppercut um, who joined us on this stream that we did. And uh, I have to tell you, if you didn't follow up on uh, on the results, I was knocked out in the first round. Um, I chose Boa Hancock, Sanji Vinsmoke, and Ichigo from Bleach for my team, which I thought was a pretty strong team. And I thought psychologically it was interesting because, you know, you've got Boa Hancock. She's like the most beautiful woman in the world. And then you've got Sanji and Ichigo who are both dumb and horny. Um, and they'll probably do anything she wants. They'll have a little rivalry between them. They'll, it'll, it'll cause them all to get better. And Boa's strong. She can turn people to stone. She can make anybody fall in love with her. And she's got these lethal kicks and lethal snakes. So I went up against uh, Joe from the Orange Groves. And they chose Trafalgar Law. And I don't even remember the other characters because Trafalgar (laughs) Law by himself just wiped your team, schooled us. And uh, even in the losers bracket, after I made adjustments, I told my team, I was like, come on, guys, we got to work together. Sanji, I'm not, you're, you're going in right after Boa Hancock and Boa's out there. She's delivering those good kicks. I'm doing damage. She's rallying and she tags in Sanji. And what the hell does he do? He gets heart eyes. We were playing the game Jump Force. I should probably start with that. But we weren't I'm glad playing that you it. threw it in there at we some point. We weren't playing it ourselves. The computer was playing it for us, so we had no control. It was all just sort of a fantasy element of coaching. So I'm telling, I'm, I'm hoping Sanji's going to pull it out. And what does he do? He just stands there and he won't kick Rukia because it's a woman. And he doesn't kick women. And my whole plan has backfired. Yeah, I think you <laughs> Rukia's from Bleach, by the way, the, bl- yeah, the black-haired girl. Yeah, no, you definitely um, made some poor choices there. Oof, I stacked the deck against myself. But seriously, I had no idea the game had that built in. Sanji literally stood there with moony eyes looking at Rukia and then looking at Boa Hancock and he refused to do anything. He was like Charmeleon. He was just giving me big Charmeleon energy. I- I'm, I'm curious, who is the ultimate victor? Ah, I was gonna get. I was gonna get to that. Oh, yes, great. the ultimate victor is is someone you wouldn't believe. So in this game, you can play as Dragon Ball characters. You can play as um, characters from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Characters from Hunter Hunter, Yu Yu Hakusho. You know, like uh, all the big ones: One Piece, um, Bleach, Naruto. So like, you'd think one of those big characters would win. Like, I chose, like, third stringer, a third stringer to start with. Boa Hancock is not a first stringer. Plus, she's a woman in a man's world, basically, because Jump is a shonen, uh, shonen manga comic. So they really prioritize them less in those series. The character who won was Ryo Saeba from City Hunter. And it's because he had a gun. 
Well, that's so a- we have answered. <laughs> we have answered the age-long question of what if Gun? <laughs> he took out both Dio and Jotaro from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, who can both stop time. And Dio's attack is that he stops time, kicks the shit out of you, beats up an old um, steamroller, and drops it on top of you, and then beats the shit out of the steamroller, and blows everything up. He beat him with a gun and an RPG. Sounds very inefficient to beat up the steamroller, which is an inanimate object that you brought to the fight. But, oh, okay. I mean, it's JoJo's, though. It's JoJo. I, I mean, I would just say uh, that's amusing and also um, probably a better reflection of reality than other things you might be uh, experiencing. Yeah, so here's the question that we're going to kick off this episode with. Would you add Lil Slugger to Smash Brothers? What moves would you give him? And... What kind of support would he have? Like, how would you conceive getting Little Slugger into Smash Brothers? Because it seems like every character is in that game. Sephiroth is in there. Sonic. Kirby. Like, I guess Kirby's makes sense because it's Nintendo. But there's a ton of non-Nintendo. Like, oh, Steve and Alex from Minecraft are in there. Banjo and Kazooie are in there. Like, it's a crazy game. And there's like more than 50 characters more than 60 characters probably i don't know but like how would you put little slugger in the smash bros and is that a good idea i mean can you put little slugger in there yes because clearly you can put anything in there little slugger is and again i'm missing an episode here so there does appear to be some gaps in my knowledge but i would say the little slugger is definitively um (laughs) a bad guy uh and well what kind of moves does he have or like how does he play well he's definitely got the bat i think that he's seems got to the be bat. A, a essential part of his character he's got the roller blade so he can do like a dashing attack um, yes he uh he's probably got some you know regular swings but what are what are some specials like what is his ultimate i guess i think that he can go through walls yeah, uh, I would agree. Temporarily, with that. he can teleport. Yeah, I would say become intangible. Yeah, and either pass through or avoid hits. Um, and I would, I would probably have um, a style of move where he's in front of you, and then you you do an attack, but all of a sudden he teleports behind you and smacks you on the head. Um, that would be good. So that would be good. That would be one thing. I, you know, only after watching episode. 12 would i say that he's got some uh, additional extraordinary powers that you might throw in there but uh, i don't you know i didn't think we were talking about that right way right away <laughs> i would add one more power um i think he should be able to knock out two characters consecutively so like he has a special move where if he's hitting one character an extra him appears in front of a different character and knocks that character out as well so in multiple character battles, oh, I not like one this. on one, and I, ex- I think this could succeeds. play into an ultimate as well. Where if he, you know, gets the the ultimate attack, then the screen will be filled with uh, little slugger characters um, swinging indiscriminately, so you can't avoid the hits. Yeah, and his support character is Maromi for reasons we're going to discuss. <laughs> I think that was known ahead of time, but sure. <laughs> okay, uh, this episode is a big one 
it's interesting because it's kind of two sides of a marriage. Uh, on the one side, we have the former chief Ikari, uh, who is without the role of police chief anymore. He's sort of just holding it together, trying to eke out what he can as a security guard for construction sites. He's working at multiple construction sites. I, I call it a security guard, but I think there might be another name for it. Do, do we really, I mean, let's just visit for a second the, the, the understanding we have of the circumstance of his departure from the police force, right? He gets the case, mm-hmm. a little slugger. He goes about it. What remind me again? What he decides? Like he's just, he just hangs up his hat. Like this is too no, much no, for no. me. This isn't a decision he makes. This is the kind of thing where a Japanese person who would let someone die on their watch, who was negligent in some way, or who may have come up on charges of coercing a confession from a minor, is, is dismissed in disgrace, or is asked to leave of their own volition, so as to avoid shame on the department, which is, seems like the most likely case in this case. Well, so he left on his own. I, I would just say... Um, but he may have been forced out. Yeah, you don't need to coerce a confession out of a kid. Just coercing a confession when it is <laughs> not appropriate seems to be uh, an appropriate stream of action. He may have just taken responsibility for the fact that a kid died on his watch as well. We don't know. But... Um, the point is that he ha- he even mentions in the episode that he he's given up. He's not trying to get little slugger. He's put it in the rear view and he's just trying to move forward or just stay in the same place. And it's interesting because he, you know, from both sides of this marriage on his side, he sees his wife as constantly waiting for him, like so good and he's not worthy of her in a lot of ways. And when we get her side of the story, her name is Misae. And when the episode starts, she gets a bad diagnosis. Um, She's going to have to go in for surgery if she wants to live. She has a long, long discussion, kind of a confrontation, I guess, with little slugger. And, it's a really, really great scene because we've never seen Little Slugger defeated so thoroughly before. It was a very weird, um, it was a weird extended scene. Well, it almost seems like she's boring him to death at some yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. She was very frustrating to him. And and I, I couldn't tell, honestly, whether the scene was supposed to be played for comedic relief at Little Slugger's expense. I think it was to some extent because I think that the I think it was in in the sense that it was also dramatic. It was dramatic and it was also comedic. In in that the drama the dramatic point was that she really did go through this process of of dealing with her sickness and sort of dealing with the fallout of of her husband's failure to catch little slugger and then on top of that she's also sort of dragging it out and it seems like she has all the time in the world she's telling this really slow really like detailed detailed yeah very tale. sort of navel gazing 
of how she came to understand not only what Little Slugger is, but how she could actually defeat it or sort of like to scold him. I think in the end is what happens. She ends up scolding Little Slugger, basically saying, you've underestimated humans. Uh, we're not nearly as weak as you think. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that statement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but it was a very, it was very good in the sense that I think that we got a sense, we got a little bit of a whiff of this when the ghosts, um, the ghosts who wanted to die, ran after a little slugger like he was a superstar. And he was, and that at that time, the entity, I'm going to call it an entity, I guess, from now on. The little slugger entity was like a little bit put off by the whole thing and made a break for it. Um, and here we see again, he's helpless. He's impotent against this woman's conviction. I mean, <laughs> against this woman's, uh, She's sort of laid a trap for him, and she's she's not as hopeless as she at first appears to be, even though she's been given a death sentence of sorts. I, I, I quibble with one point, which is she, like, we see her apparently rejecting some sort of treatment at the beginning of this episode. But then later when she's talking to Little Slugger, she says, oh, in, in fact, I chose to live and I, I am going to get operated on, or, or I am going to get the treatment um did and and that was sort of the proof mm-hmm. that like I hey remember this. humans have depth we've got um you know we've got reserves to fall back on and what i i don't understand how she played him so easily like she so what what went on you summon little slugger by being desperate right but in her mind is she desperate because she can't get her husband to return home? Is that where she's cornered? Or is she trying to lure him in by the yes, fear? Yes, I that, thought that she was trying to lure him in. Well, she was luring him in, but I, I guess like you get mentally cornered by an issue that you can't get out of your mind, right? You, you have to deal with this problem and it's coming on you like a freight train and you've got no solutions. And... The implication at the beginning of the episode is that the problem she is dealing with is her health. While as in reality, she does have a problem, but it's not her health. It is the fact that her husband is not coming home. However, I don't understand what she used, like which of these two issues did she use in her mind to summon Little Slugger? Or did she summon Little Slugger some other way? I'm, I'm confused about I think about you've that. answered your own question. I think she summoned him using the idea that she wishes she could die um, because she's refusing to have the operation. Well, I, I'm confused, though. I, I thought we agreed that she was, in fact, uh, going to... Oh, well, it's treated. a trap. It's a trap. So she says that and she puts in the performance, I guess, or maybe even she believes it at one point. But I did feel it. And you said the same thing I did. She, that I put in my notes, she summons him. And the ritual to summon him is to feel like there's no hope. But then she uses the time that she has him there to tell a love story, basically. (laughs) A long and boring love story. It drives him berserk. I mean, he's just a, he's just every, he's every uh, over-caffeinated, over-sugar, over-sugared teenage boy at that point, just clawing at his face, just, 
He just wants to bash something with that bat of his. He just wants to hit it, well, man. He does. He ends up smacking. He ends up demolishing the room. And then I got very confused about this. He does attack her. He hits her. And it's like the most minor of scrapes on her forehead. Yes. Yes. And she otherwise seems impervious to his blows. She's impervious to everything because she has love, Don. That's, <laughs> that's the power of love. Yeah, no, that's, that's an so, 80s as the trope. Bard said. I, yeah, that's not what the, <laughs> the bard did not say that. <laughs> you know, I thought it was touching. Uh, she couldn't have kids, you know, and he chose her even though she was sick from the moment they met. I mean, I'm talking about Chief Ikari. Or, or Keiichi Ikari, he chose her because he loved her and they both decided then and there that they would, you know, individually they sort of decided that they would work towards a future for themselves even if they couldn't have kids together. And she tried to become a woman worthy of him and in the end, as you were saying, she chooses to live because it would be a betrayal of his love to die. But he also paints kind of a grim picture of, of like 14 days of food just piled up that was waiting for him to come home when he was so busy trying to catch little slugger and so busy avoiding the inevitable. It would seem like he was avoiding the fact that she's sick and dying. And I think he said as much to the thief that he talks to later in the episode, like during the episode. Yeah, by the way, that's extremely passive-aggressive. To <laughs> cook 14 meals, plate 14 meals, put them out for your husband, and then not clear and think like, yeah, in 14 days, he'll still want to eat that old one as well as the one I cooked today. She did guilt him, right? She did lay it on pretty thick with, uh, with bricks and... <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a big, yeah... Passive aggressive. <laughs> I mean, like I, I just don't understand how you can't look at your behavior and be like, oh, maybe that's a little fucked up. Um, maybe I yeah. shouldn't be doing that. That seems inappropriate. Yeah, you know this idea of um, of the of a man's era being over is an interesting one. I'm kind of moving away from that topic that we were just on, but. Remember the the man's path that we were talking about how in the in the manga that was like part of the episode like it ends with them saying like it's our time now like this is for us and like what we've seen that applied to so far is very old men <laughs> or men who are well past it being their time the only time that's come is reckoning really for most of these characters. Keichi Ikari, he, he meets this guy and I want to ask your opinion on this part. Cause I thought it was a fun bit. Uh, he, he ends up working alongside an old school thief that he caught that did that thing where they put the bandana on their head and they tie it under the nose and he's got a big sack and a big sack. You say a, a burlap sack, a burlap sack. <laughs> That he carries his ill-gotten goods in. And another image comes back, and I wish I understood this, but I really don't. And I thought maybe Don can shed some light on this subject. Because the 
the, the the book of matches with the old school like cherry blossom design and the it's the exact same book of matches the thief gives it to him like it I, means if you something. recall the original matches they were from you know there was a reference to them being like from a some location this is two or three episodes ago um oh yeah i remember that i just don't understand why the thief would know that it had meaning for well, the Ikari. thief seemed to know a number of things about Ikari, but I think it's the the matchbook is sort of like a it is a reminiscent of that time and of of those sort of that good old time when thieves carried burlap sacks and life was simpler, right? That's the, it's the it's the callback there. Yeah. So I, I don't think I can't ascribe to it more meaning than that. I think it is. A first of all, I can't tell if Ikari is sane or not while he's doing these things, and the fact that he's not coming home at all is uh, is fairly suspicious. Like, is he renting an apartment somewhere? Like, presumably, it's still he still lives with his wife, or in principle, lives with his wife, and he can't simply go from job to job to job without sleeping because humans who do that die. So. There's right. there's a I bunch mean, of unanswered questions that that go along with this, and therefore you're it's, right. We don't know where he's spending his nights. I don't think it's implied that there's anything going on there. I think it's just that he is either staying at the office, which is horrible. Well, the office of these construction sites. There's nothing. Oh, you mean now? I mean, I'm now. sorry. I yeah. thought you meant when he was on the beat still. Well, I mean that. Yeah, it was also weird, but at least he was on a detective salary at that point. Like when yeah. you're doing pickup day labor for construction sites, you're not making a lot. You're not making enough to support a home and, you know, go sleep in a hotel every night. And then there was this moment where she's like, we lost. We were defeated as husband and wife by you, little slugger. And like, it seems like he's finally got her. He's delighted. Yeah, he's absolutely getting ready for mealtime, basically. And then she just turns it around and she just laughs at him. And she's just like, here's the real truth about humans is we can always choose to face reality. You don't understand that because you are not human. And you hurt and kill those who are troubled and delude yourself. You rejoice only your own actions, actions, your your existence is a total deception and you're just giving people a temporary peace of mind. And then it's really metaphoric at that point. Cause the walls kind of fall away and there's a rainbow above her head. And the symbolism is just like slapping you in the face. I mean, yeah, well, this is when little slugger leaves. Right. And like the whole, the, right. the I walls think fall point, down. I mean, it's, I think at that point she says that you and Moromi are one and the same. Yeah. Then that he, that apparently has some power. Yeah, because Moromi is also something that sort of exists in this world that provides this, like, false sense of serenity. I mean, it could be real serenity in some cases, but it's a totem for serenity, but it causes, as we'll see, um, I guess we should wait till the next episode to talk more about that, but it can cause a little bit of chaos in the pursuit of serenity, which is weird. And Misaya then 
proclaims that she has decided to have the operation. And that's when little sluggers just like, Oh, I can't do anything, I guess. Which so really, I'm it begs the question out of here. Yeah, what, what are the limitations <laughs> on little sluggers power? What, what causes him to be able to act on people or not act on people? Um, I, when you give into your despair, then you have, then, you know, little slugger has complete control over you or your, your fear or whatever it might happen to be. But you, but if you go back, like there's some complex motivations, like who is our second victim? The little boy, uh, the, the one that was carrying the tree, Ushiyama, Ushi, Ushiyama. There is Ichi. And then Ichi. Mm-hmm. Right. We had Ichi and Ushiyama. But I, I, what I, but I mean, Ichi doesn't get hurt and, or Yuichi doesn't get hurt. It's, it's his classmate that gets hurt, but the classmate isn't despairing about anything. He was a very positive person. So I don't quite understand how that fits into our, to what we've been saying back and forth here now, which is you have to despair. You have to be cornered. Then little slugger can take it out on you because in that particular situation yuichi was the one despairing yuichi is the one well yuichi may have been the one who was attacked by the entity and no he wasn't attacked by the entity uchiyama Uchiyama. was the one who was attacked by the child the by little slugger no by the copycat but the other ones, we don't know what happened. We don't know if they, it was self-inflicted or if they were attacked by this psychological entity thing. I had not. I had been ascribing all the little, all the attacks to Little Slugger, because I thought that he was working. No, well, the through... copycat definitely, definitely had his hand in some of them, though, and it Makoto definitely Kozuka, was not yeah. necessarily motivated by Little Slugger. Well, yeah, that was the it weird was thing. Inspired by him, right? So. Basically, we're saying that Kozuka, while inspired by Little Slugger, is not acting like Little Slugger is sort of the actual demon Little Slugger is dormant while Kozuka is is doing whatever he's doing. And then something really weird happens to Ikari in the very end. Things become too much for him. Uh, He's lost his place in the world. You know, the world has gone on without him. And he thinks back on, on, uh, on his own childhood when he dreamed of being a cop. He imagined the criminal he was catching would be the type of criminal that um, I want to say his name is Inukai. That the the man he works with oh the, the was uh, the, the the sort of comical reformed uh, thief yeah the reformed thief was so that's how he imagined himself as a cop when he was a kid. And now at the end of the episode, he goes outside after getting the matchbook. And once again, reality is getting kind of fuzzy to me. Oh yeah. But there's, this is definitely some sort of, I, I didn't know if he was trapped in an alternate. I didn't know what was going on. He is no longer in our world. It seems he's in some kind of idyllic, comic book like like childhood comic book like when he was a child it would have been the 50s 60s right so we're back in the 50s and 60s and the style is very it's almost like the japanese version of norman rockwell where things are classic and very comical and very uh 
like safe and chaste in a way. And uh, that exact type of criminal appears and he was able to give him chase and he knows who he is in this world. So he's basically become lost. And it's pretty telling that after that scene, we get Maniwa visiting Misae and Maniwa's looking like a crazy person. Yeah. He's, (laughs) he's, he's lost a couple marbles along the way. Yeah. And he finds her in her broken house. um, And all she says is he hasn't come home yet. And it's a really tragic sounding because she's decided to live, but here he is, he's given up. And that takes us out of uh, episode 11. So Don, do you have any other thoughts on this episode? I think you said you had one more thing you wanted to say. I liked, I liked this episode because we, we have more about little slugger and we've got more of the, of sort of not the origins of little slugger, but a little more about um, the rules that guide. Well, the little slugger is not human. And when you're speaking with ghosts, you know, I, I tend to think of that as a human product or still human in some context yeah, sourced from human. But the way that um, the way that um, Mise is talking sorry is talking to a little slugger the implication is the little slugger is wholly alien you know not at all not not born of man uh i, I don't know it's very curious it's interesting and i want to find out when we get to the next episode you know whether you still think that he's not born of man because there's certainly hints that he is sort of a reaction or some kind of something that was spawned and grown powerful from man's unspoken needs and or insecurities and or the rumor mill, you know, like the sort of imagination that we, like she says it in this episode that like our imagination or no, I think that it's in the next episode. Never mind. I'll I'll get to that then. We should go on to the next one. We will leave. Um, I want to leave you guys with this thought because I did really like the part where they were talking about things that you can rely on. And it's a very Japanese list. One of them was the three shapes that are in Odin. Um, This is the, the reformed thief talking to Ikari, trying to give him a pep talk, basically using his own words and his own philosophy to help him, but doesn't help him, but it's an attempt anyway. When, the thief is talking to Ikari and he's trying to say like, what are you doing here? Because somebody who looks like you, you know, you don't, the people who work this job, it's not the kind of labor that you do for a career. He says, are you kind of like, and he did this like thing with his face. And Ikari's like, no, that, that wasn't me. Um, oh okay what was that did you is that a japanese thing whatever it was i didn't know exactly but the first time i watched it which was not the case for the second time exactly but i thought he was putting his hands together as if he'd been handcuffed um and he was doing a kind of japanese wink kind of like and then he because then he confesses that he spent some time in the in in the the clink. clink yep 
Um, so that was my answer for that. As for the Odin and the sort of like, I, I think it's important to note that Misae constantly refers to Ikari as a good man, as the best man, um, as, as a strong, smart man. Like she keeps building him up and through the episode, um, the thief also builds him up. As I was saying, um, talking, using his own words to, try to help him get back to his center again. Uh, he even reminds him that he has a wife and that's when Ikari sort of tells him like, well, you know, she's been sick for so long. I may be at my limit. And, uh, and that's when the thief gives him some Odin and you see those three shapes, which are very iconic. You know, it's not, it's not like a symbolism beyond just the shapes that Odin comes in, but uh, it is one of the things you can rely on in this world. So I thought that was a neat touch. And uh, nobody is, neither his wife nor this thief are able to save him from sort of falling into his own delusion in the end. And that's where we're left off on this episode. So next time we'll be discussing episode 12, Radar Man. I hope you guys will come back. Uh, if you like this episode or you want to tell us how you would put Little Slugger in Smash Bros, uh, go to our Twitter. Uh, I'm going to put up a I'm going to put up a question of the week during this week. And uh, I would love to know what you guys think. Um, It's at Okashina Podcast, O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A Podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening. And uh, Don? Okashku? Okashku ikoyo! Ikoyo!